Before we officially start this podcast, I want to remind everyone that this podcast and all other podcasts on the IB Sports Podcast feed are available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new podcasts on the IB Network. If you are on iTunes, we would appreciate if you would rate and review that podcast network. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We do have a premium membership that allows you to approve, uh, make posts without being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, receive free gambling picks, and a whole lot more. And with that, we are back with another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast, IB Sports Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Chief Keith Fleming. Uh, with me, as always, is the ravishing Ron L. Tinsley and the shooter, Sam Howell. What's going on, guys? Just a beautiful pre-Halloween day in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, just living the dream, boys. Always happy to chop it up with my Russell Bros. I'm doing fantastic, man. Um, I'm really excited about today's show. Um, we had a really good week this past week in the world of wrestling, so I'm ready to get it on. All right, well, uh, for off the top this week, before we get into the Superlatives from the week of wrestling, we did have a pay-per-view that we previewed on our last episode, the Hell in a Cell. Um, well, before we get into the three Hell in a Cells, because that was really what the pay-per-view was all about, uh, honestly, a little surprised that The Miz ended up defeating Otis. He is now officially your Money in the Bank briefcase holder. I do think that for making the briefcase interesting that was the right decision i think it's pretty cool how you know life is a circle if you want to go uh what's his name russ from uh time is a flat circle yeah russell from uh true detective and you know it was 10 years ago randy orton was the champion miz was the money in the bank briefcase holder oh by the way he cashed in at the amway center which is where at least until the end of this month i believe they will be doing uh, all uh, events as they look for a new location uh, for WWE to house it. But, Ronel, are, are you happy that The Miz is now the Money in the Bank briefcase holder? Surprised? I'm, um, I'm on both ends for this. Um, I am happy that, you know, we do have, like, more, a more viable candidate for a cash in like like it, it'll be more believable uh knowing that the miz has it and that you know there's a legitimate contender uh looming in the in the wings uh i i kind of feel bad for my man otis and you know i'll get into that later uh about how everything went down um I just kind of really feel bad for my man but yeah tis what it is you know what i mean but uh, honestly i i can't i'm um, as a fan um, and as the storyline progresses, I'm actually happy about it. I'm just, you know, kind of, I've kind of taken a shine to Otis, so it, I'm not as super stoked about it. Sam, what you think? So, uh, first of all, actually, the what Ron Ellis said reminded me of something that was said in the Discord chat that uh, Otis should form a tag team with Matt Riddle called High Stakes. Which <laughs> <laughs> just made me laugh. I thought I'd share with you guys. Uh, so I like it on a lot of levels. On the first level, I was, like Ronnell said, I was bummed out for Otis. 
and a little like, oh, God damn it, Miz. But I was like, oh, that's great. That's the reaction we're supposed to have. So they got me. Um, I really, I think Miz deserves another run with a belt. Uh, he has done, he's definitely leveled up as a worker. Um, he And he's done great. He's capable of doing great character work. Um, I So I'm happy from that. My, uh, and I love that they acknowledge that he won the money in the bank from Orton um, 10 years ago. I think there's all of it. I'm ultimately like, yeah, very happy with it. Um, I do feel a little bad for Otis. Um, my only frustration is twofold. One is, is that like, why not just give it to Miz in the first place? And also that like now this means that Miz is going to lose constantly because that's what they do to the Money in the Bank winner until they like oh it's the shock that they cashed in. It's like but maybe they this shouldn't look like a dope before they. Well, anyway, I'm not going to complain. We're going to get to Survivor Series and y'all are going to hear me bitch each week. <laughs> so the other part of Hell in a Cell that, in my opinion, deserves discussion because again, kudos to WWE once again doing a very short pay per view like. They, they deserve a lot of credit. I hope this is the new norm and not just something now, especially with the network. I don't think too many people are actually buying pay-per-views. Uh, it just, it makes it more entertaining because you're, you're more invested into each match and then do something like mania where it's special when it's a longer show or the Royal rumble. But there was, it was basically the tale of three hell in a cell matches. And before I go into that, I just want to let people know there was a lot of people that were upset about the fact that Orton and McIntyre main evented. I really, truly Keith, believe. Keith, yeah. Sorry, I just I want to interrupt you because I was one of those people, and I want to give you credit because I think that you are. Ex- I'm sorry, interrupting is rude. And I'm oh, you're good on that. But especially I wanna... when you're going to give me kudos, go right ahead. <laughs> because uh, I was wrong. I was upset about this, and Keith and I talked, and Keith was like, "Oh yeah, no, this is why I think they did it." And I was like, "He's exactly right." So sorry, go on, Keith, because I thought. No, you're good. The. Uh... You got to think about what was going on Sunday night. The pay-per-view started at seven. They started with the Reigns Uso match and it, it did. It blew me away. I'm like, Holy cow, this is the opening match. And then if you look, Bailey and Sasha started just before 8 PM again, kind of a shocker. But then when you think about it, you have a very good Sunday night NFL game that started at 8:20 or 8:15. You had a world series game five, which was the most important game in the world series starting uh, I believe at uh, 8.05 p.m. So they purposely put the Reigns Uso match first because they wanted the most eyeballs on it. That's the, their biggest story right now. I think it made sense to start the Sasha Bailey match before the game started because hopefully if people started watching it, they would continue watching it and not immediately flip over when the game started. And then, I mean, honestly, at that point, Orton McIntyre was the only match left. You still have to have a main event for wrestling purposes, obviously a title match. That's for the order. What I thought was even more interesting and why I enjoyed it was you had the first match, which was the great story. Uh, As good as any has been told in a long time, this Reigns Uso. um, Roman Reigns crying in the middle of the ring and legit looking that upset is some of the best acting I've seen in WWE in a long time because that's so easy to come off corny or fake, and it did not. I actually believed him. I was like, holy cow, where are they going with this? Like, boy, this angle just took a turn. Obviously, he was just using that to get Jimmy to let his guard down. He put him in 
the chokehold, and and then that was going to make Jay quit, which made Jay look like a million dollars. Sasha Bailey was the wrestling classic. I thought it was one of the better Hell in a Cell matches. Uh, when you're talking like, yes, it was brutal, but just the the flow to it. Uh, some of the spots were very creative. Uh, both of them did fantastic work. And then the final one, I guess you could say, should have been the shock. But I think really more than anything, it's going to be known as the match that for the first time in four or five years, both guys went up on the top. I want to give Sam 100% full disclosure because I was really nervous. I do not like when guys do stuff like that. Uh, I think it's crazy. Uh, And Sam said, first of all, I will bet you whatever you want to bet me. Randy Orton is not about to take a bump. There is 0% chance Orton is taking any kind of bump. I thought maybe he was going to take the Shawn Michaels bump on the side. No, he didn't. Uh, He ended up not taking any bump. Uh, McIntyre did take a nasty bump. I don't know if you saw the photo of a different angle of that. It didn't look that high, but he was pretty high up. I mean, if you look at the angle of him dropping right as he, you know, started to fall back on his back, I mean, it's – it's a substantial fall. It's it's funny that, you know, I think Sam's made the point many times before. We sit there and, you know, go, oh, that wouldn't hurt or that wouldn't be that bad when we've never taken a serious bump in our life. But I thought all three of them were successful matches. Again, the Reigns, you know, match was just – it was a, a master class in storytelling. The Bailey-Sasha match was a master class in just a wrestling affair – the only thing that I like the big complaint I have from all three, because we discussed it made no sense if Randy Orton didn't win that because otherwise like, what were we still doing here? So that I, I saw that coming. The tease that they did at the end is the only thing I wasn't sure of because it, it's not just the fact that they had it going last and that should automatically, if people are not thinking of it the way I did, they're going to go, Oh, they're saving something big for the end, whether it be a Miz cash in the fiend, there's all these different ways that the match could have uh, something interesting happening in it. But the way that they ended it with McIntyre in the ring, staring at Orton, like up on the ramp, the announcer's not really saying anything, which that I've learned is sort of a giveaway for a big surprise finish out of nowhere. And it just, it just seemed to go on forever. I swear to God, it's, it felt like, five minutes of Orton just standing there with the title. And then finally saw a WWE logo and it's like, what are they like? What are they doing? Uh, Let's start with it this way. And I'll start with you, Sam. What was your favorite match of the three? Uh, So I'm going to hopefully get to this in the second question. I would go overall work rate i would go and and just because i'm such a big fan of these two would be sasha bailey um i would then go to uh but i thought that the storytelling on reigns uso that they we've moved i mean think about it if i had told you guys it was eight weeks ago that we're gonna do two pay-per-views of reigns uso i don't think that the reaction would have been the same and I think that the fact that we all are, I, Ron, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that we've all been pretty effusive in our praise for it, says something about how well they've done. I do apologize. My uh, net kind of kicked out. Would you mind repeating that question real quickly? Just which one of the three to start was your favorite match of the three Hell in a Cells? Um, wow, that's kind of hard. I actually... 
I actually think the the McIntyre and Orton was, even though I kind of, even though I knew who the winner was. I mean, we we pretty much knew who the winner was going to be in all three of those. The fact that they pulled it off so well, uh, outside of that crazy going to the top of the cage, uh, Drew taking that, you know, that was a good 10, 12 foot uh, bump there. Uh, in all, they, they pulled off a, a really fantastic storyline um, with the way they uh, did it all together. I was most impressed with that one. Sam talks about it all the time that just because something's predictable doesn't mean it's good. And I think this was a prime example of that because as Ronell was just alluding to, I mean, I think everybody would have predict. Well, not everybody. Some people did think McIntyre was going to win. Again, from my point of view, I had no idea why they would be having that match if McIntyre was going to win again. So we did have the what we thought. Sasha was going to finally, you know, overcome Bailey because they rushed it to a Hell in a Cell match. They didn't really have a, a previous blow-off match, I guess, if you don't count their SmackDown match. Uh, and then, obviously, Reigns was going to win. We knew that in the middle of his and then I thought Orton was, but I still think all three were executed really well. And it just proves, you know, what Sam, again, always talks about. And I've become more of a believer from doing this podcast with you that, you know, being predictable is not a bad thing, especially if you know where you're going and you're as decisive as they've been with these storylines as they have. I also love the fact that these weren't like, match brutal matches for the sake of brutality like they they picked really good spots to incorporate you know the kendo sticks uh for example for uh sasha and bailey um the chairs for um the the reigns and mcintyre i'm sorry not not the reigns the um mcintyre orton just they they used the cage spots the 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 outside weapons uh, really well, but they weren't just kind of just tossing them in there like, oh, this is here. Let's try something with this. So let me, uh, this is, I'm going to take my chance to air my grievances with Helena Cell just because I don't know if we're going to get another chance. Future <laughs> um, shot, Sam. Uh, um, so the first thing I don't like, I w- I hope that they will switch out Helena Cell for Halloween Havoc and I will oh, buy God, yes. however many uh, Hell in a Cell play sets with that red cage that I need to buy to get Vince to do that. Um, I think that Hell in a Cell is a feud under. And I think that you, you know, Halloween Havoc just, I know, and, and normally I'd say, well, Vince doesn't want to use a WCW idea, but they've used the Great American Bash. I think that you reserve Hell in a Cell as a match that you can pull out for a feud like Reigns Uso and say, we're going to do this in Hell in a Cell rather than reverse engineering it. The other thing I wanted to say to Keith's point about the match where the, the, the McIntyre-Orton match, actually, we talked about, you know, Keith talked about really expecting that. And I thought that not having that was good. And I thought not having a spot on the top was good because if you condition people to expect that every time, it, it loses some of its magic. So to have it not happen was, I thought, good. And if you have that moment at the end of every pay-per-view where you're conditioned to expect it, it stops being shocking. So you want to have those moments where, 
Okay, and it was. I, I, I held up three fingers when Keith was talking about how long it was. It was three minutes. I counted. Um, and so at first I was like, you know, why did they do that? But I was like, okay, cool. So that there will be times where we're going to expect that and it's not going to happen. And I think that's good because when it does stops being a surprise, if, okay, the pay-per-view end is the match is wrapped up at 1057, we know that something is going to happen. And I think that creating that doubt is very good for storytelling purposes. Yeah. I like what you just said, because if we continue to do those kind of spots, I mean, we we definitely, especially to the kids who are going to be watching it for the first time, it's going to totally devalue the brutality of mankind, Undertaker, and that should never, ever, ever on this planet happen. Two other quick things, and then I know we got to get to the Sopranos of the week, but one, I thought that it was really well done because they kept mentioning that Orton had experience in Hell in a Cell and McIntyre did not. And if you look at it, when Orton climbed the cage, McIntyre up until that point had been controlling the entire match. It's almost like he goaded him to go up there, immediately started to head back down basically once they started to interact on top of the cage. It led to McIntyre taking that nasty spell onto the table. He was coughing up blood uh, after that. So for the Viper who really doesn't get the credit that, you know, Triple H and some of those other guys do of kind of playing mind games uh, and being in a lot of ways a smart heel, uh, I thought that he, you know, he kind of planted that and it worked to his advantage, which was cool. The other thing I got to give WWE credit, and maybe it was – coincidental maybe it was not such a big deal had been made about two consecutive hell in a cell main events being non-finishes and when that reigns match kind of started to look like it was going towards the no contest you know way they had lifted up the cage they uh you know were trying to stop the match and reigns is like no 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 uh, and then honestly, what was one of the cooler almost spots I've seen in a long time for Reigns to stand there with those still, you know, stairs, just like looking like he's just waiting to, you know, just basically smash in Jay Uso's head. Uh, again, it was just some of the better storytelling I've seen. And I don't know, like, who deserves the credit. I keep saying this each episode, but. They just are like batting a thousand with Reigns right now. And everything that he does from, from the moment he's came back to every promo to every match, like it's just been perfect. And I continue to just say Paul Heyman's genius of he still looks terrified of Reigns. And that's never been the Paul Heyman stick to be off to the side. You know what I mean? To almost be like he's a, uh, I don't know, a hostage in this situation. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like where it's like, I don't want to be doing this, but I'm so scared of this guy. I have to be involved with this. That just makes the angle that much more intriguing to me. The, I, I do want to say one thing about, because I, I want to quote from the uh, best of the super smart juniors, which is the with spandex orphans discord thread. Um, there's a guy who uh, his, his screen name is DL316BH, and he said uh, the Roman J match is the best match I'm never going to want to see again. And I thought that that was actually a pretty 
you know, pretty good action, pretty good description of it. Um, I, I thought that I thought my one complaint about the two men's Hell in a Cell matches was they felt I, I heard who the agents were and neither of them were Triple H, but they felt very much like the the that they had Triple H's fingerprints on them. Uh, I know RC will appreciate this because and, and don't get me wrong, I'm usually actually Triple H the like Triple H the executive. I'm a big fan. It's the wrestler that I have a bigger problem with. And it's more just he and I seem to disagree on what you know, and this idea of what constitutes an epic match. And I don't think you can necessarily create that. And I think that his idea of these, you know, a lot of, I don't want to call it slow moving, but these, you know, the, there's a lot of overt selling and it just feels like it can drag a little. So, but that's, you know, I thought Sasha and Bailey was a banger. Totally was, uh, came close to being, uh, at first, uh, you know, Sunday night or Monday night when I actually watched it, it wound up, I was like, wow, this is probably going to be my match of the week right here. <laughs> so real quickly before we move on, because my wife, I guess, is listening to the podcast. She goes, hot take, LOL. I hear you talking about the Bailey Sasha match. It was good, but not amazing. I kind of thought it was a little bit sloppy. I, I do know what she's talking about. She was talking about the part where Bailey was trying to tape up the kendo sticks uh, through the the cage. Uh, she said it looked like craft time. Uh, maybe that was the one part, but necessarily not with all the talent. I'm sure they both have with each other. I do wonder if y'all know what she's talking about. What in the world were they even trying to do there? Because she kind of gave up on it. It almost looked like Bailey was going to make a staff uh, for a minute with the kendo stick and, you know, do some Ray from star Wars. Like that's what I thought she was doing at first. Uh, and you know, then that way you could use both ends of the kendo stick to kind of beat Sasha, which I would have never seen before. And I thought that was pretty cool. Then once that didn't work, she started trying to tape him into the cage and then she ended up just getting frustrated and going back in the ring, I believe with a chair, if I remember correctly. Uh, so I will give my wife credit a for listening to the podcast is being taped and B for, uh, you know, she's getting a little bit of that Sam Howe attitude where she's picking nets, if you will, where she's like, it wasn't that great. So my my uh, my take on this, and it's one of the, the reasons why I think Hell in a Cell is not, shouldn't be a yearly pay-per-view, is the first Sasha Bailey, I actually wasn't thrilled that Sasha won, but I thought if you're doing Hell in a Cell, Sasha has to win. Yeah. Um, I thought that you know, I've talked about this with my speaking of picking nits with Johnny Gargano, where he starts a match, his first feud match in the feud is at a 10. I feel like that's where we went with this. Like, where do you go next with this feud? Because it's not over. I mean, it can't be over. It's not on the same brand. Like, I thought maybe they were going to do a deal where they get split up and then, you know, Sasha would win the belt right before they got split. And then it would make sense because you could save the, you know, since the, the buildup was so long, you could have this one match and then, you know, wait whether it be through Survivor Series or whatever, when they, you know, get to get their hands in the Rumble, you know, where it may be. But instead, you're kind of stuck with, uh, and I shouldn't say stuck, but I'm just saying, like, I'm with you. It's almost like we've climaxed after this, like, super long uh, buildup. And now it's like, well, what, where do we go from here? Uh, and I, I do think that's a problem. Moving on to the superlatives, uh, 
we do every week, all three of us give our, uh, and the categories are going to be, and I brought them back for you guys this week. It was only because of the pay-per-view. We got wrestler on the rise, wrestler on the slide, the match of the week, promo of the week, heel of the week, face of the week, storyline you need to pay attention to, and what show won the week. And again, this can come from any of the four episodes in the last week. So that would be SmackDown, Raw, uh, Halloween Havoc, which was actually NXT this week, and AEW Dynamite. My wrestler on the rise is The Miz. We don't really have to go into great detail. I mean, The Miz was kind of in no man's land, stuck with John Morrison. We were getting excited just thinking maybe he was going to be involved with Retribution. Little did we know they had something much bigger for him. Um, I just hope it's not an unsuccessful cash-in because I think at that point, like, no offense, Otis should have had an unsuccessful cash-in in The Miz. Miz is just too smart of a heel, in my opinion, not to wait to the perfect opportunity to make this successful. And I'm also very happy that The Miz is on the rise because – I got really nervous the minute Orton won and we went off the air when I wasn't thinking about the Miz. Are they really going to have Orton be champion all the way to Mania just so he could face Edge? It's like, that is not cool, bro. Uh, but I think with the Miz having the money in the bank briefcase, maybe you make that match a triple threat at somewhere down the line, you know, whether it be Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, whatever it may be. Uh, it just makes it a little bit more interesting because uh, that worried me. But I'm very happy for the Miz to be the wrestler on the rise. Ron, who's your guy this week? I'm going to go off of yours for a quick second because I'm too happy as well for The Miz. Uh, I do hope this turns out to be a successful cash-in. One thing that I had thought about real quickly um, with The Miz uh, getting this, I'm wondering if, because WWE has a problem with uh, recycling storylines and sometimes they'll do it with uh, people in the same um, story, is... I wonder if John Morrison also splinters from The Miz uh, based off of this run right here. And um, who knows, maybe even him and Tucker wind up together just because of a couple of guys, you know, airing their grievances and whatever the case may be. But I'm happy for The Miz. My wrestler on the rise is Rhea Ripley. Uh, I am so happy to see my girl back uh, doing some amazing things. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to Raquel Gonzalez because that was an amazing match I mean Sam again we had another Haas match and quite honestly Raquel was quite impressive uh in that match as well so um Are I'm they happy for her back up to take the belt off at you I I would not be mad at that um, I, I was actually kind of surprised I you know for two seconds I actually thought that Candice was actually gonna win uh, last night, I uh, to Keith has talked about the, I I, I uh, it's very interesting. I know I've been talking about the raw uh, the NXT women's division being weak and thin. Uh, that's the raw women's division, and I think that if you know they want to do Rhea versus EO, if if they're going to do a takeover, I know that they're having COVID issues in NXT. If they want to do takeover the night before Survivor Series with NXT uh, and have Rhea be EO and then have EO go up on Raw after Survivor Series. I mean, the if you look outside of, you know, who's active, because uh, not counting Charlotte and Becky, after Asuka, the Raw Women's Division, because of the tag with Shayna and Nia is very thin. And 
you compare it to SmackDown and NXT, it's just very thin. Um, my wrestler on the rise, I went with Kenny Omega. I thought that the last two weeks have shown why those of us who followed him from Japan were so excited. You know, sort of the ability, he did a real story match last week, and this match was much more about work rate. And I thought that he, you know, he showed why he's the guy that they should, you know, why he was able to basically for a year not really do anything. And in two weeks, everyone's like, oh, Kenny Omega. (laughs) We forgot. Uh, The wrestler on the slide, and I'll go and get right into this because Sam kind of brought it up, and it's the women's division on Raw. And not only is it just not very strong at the moment, I'm so disappointed in WWE for not having matches to build their team for Survivor Series the way they did with the Mel's division. I mean, I know they had the last spot with Lana and the, I guess, running gag of poor Lana getting thrown through a table every freaking week. Like, I never thought they could build sympathy for Lana, but I'm at the point now where I feel bad for her. It's like she hasn't done anything, and... I mean, I guess you could say from her perspective, she's part of the storyline and, you know, she's getting more of a push than she has. But, I mean, it just, it seems kind of petty to me that, I mean, every week she's got to go through a table. But, um, I mean, we've got a month build to Survivor Series. Why could you not have Dana Brooke, you know, Mandy Rose and them go through at least a match uh, to qualify? Because I believe Raw has more female performers than SmackDown does. Uh, It just, to me, would have made sense to do that. If you want to say the tag champs are automatically qualified, I get that. There's not two, you know, sets of tag team champions for Raw and SmackDown. But it is disappointing, especially when, you know, the women's division is definitely one of the strong suits of WWE. Uh, I know Raw's division is not super strong at this moment, but I will say the last time I saw Mandy Rose in a match, uh, she looked great at SummerSlam. She really did. She was impressive. Uh, Dana Brooke has continued to get better. And then when you don't highlight them, you wonder why people have, you know, sort of a bad opinion or why maybe they don't perform quite as well at pay-per-views or in live tapings because they don't get the reps. Uh, and I just think this would have been an easy way to get them on TV, help build their characters, uh, and they just, you know, passed on it when they're doing it for the men. Yeah, I, I can completely concur with that. Um, they're, they kind of sterilized uh, Shayna for all intents and purposes. I mean, she no longer is that absolute killer i mean don't get me wrong when she slaps that caribou to clutch on uh you know she better bring her a game too for survivor series because she's going to be uh carrying a lot of weight against oh, the god, yeah. roster oh god yeah uh, and i i do feel horrible because there's no viable contenders for my girl oscar right now so you know it, it is what it is um my wrestler on the slide is uh my poor man otis you know you not only lose the money in the bank, um, you know, you're off of smack. I mean, lost his girl. You, you're not on the same show with your girl. Um, and you lost your best friend. Like, wow. bro. he's a country song at this point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, come back with, yeah, come back with a, you know, 
a hat and a guitar, you know. Join the Elias. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Elias is going more towards rock, though. So, the, you know, it's interesting too with why they broke up Heavy Machinery because again, like that was a good tactic. They split them, but now Tucker's back on, or Tucky is back on SmackDown. And like, to do what? <laughs> apparently, um, but like the tag team division is so shallow. Like, why would you do that? Especially when they were over, is the other yeah. part. Yeah, you had an over tag team that was actually decent in the ring, and you just like it. Under you could understand why they split them up for Otis to win the Money in the Bank, but then just to have him lose it, you know, not even on a cash in uh, with his partner turning on him, and they're not even on the brand, same brand of feud, which is even you know more confusing. Uh, it, do what they switched that. They're on the same brand now. Oh, they did swap that up. Okay, all right. Uh, Sam, what was your uh, wrestler on the slide? Mine was Matt Riddle, and I get it. Uh, oh, actually, let me rephrase that. Riddle, they changed his name. Um, the, uh, that's a dead-ass serious. Un, uh, but I get why they're doing it. I think that with the lawsuit, you know, that there's – don't want to push – like, they're, they're in a bad way if they were to push him. I mean, they look terrible. And – but at the same time – and, and I'll get more into Riddle, but I thought that, you know, he's a guy, I mean, and granted losing to AJ Styles and Sheamus in consecutive weeks is not getting jobbed out, but it's, it's not, you know, it becomes a thing where like we've said, wins and losses matter. And you start to, you know, you start to see him losing and it becomes a thing. So the match of the week and I'm amazed that, like, I really had to think about it because my immediate reaction was, oh, it was EO versus Candice. Like, that match was incredible. I ended up watching the entire Omega match on tape because I just didn't want to flip away from the Halloween Havoc main event. Um, and I started thinking about all the matches that they had this week. There was, there was a, good, a couple of good matches on Raw. There was a couple of good matches on SmackDown. Obviously, there was other good matches on Halloween Havoc and AEW, but I just I kept going back that EO and Candice, and I have now, and this may be a hot take, but I think EO is better in the ring than Asuka, uh, at least from the matches that I've seen. From the point when they came from NXT to the main roster, I just think back to the matches that EO's having, and she's doing all this without crowds which to me is the most amazing part. I mean, I think about their triple threat match and the reaction that would have had if that would have been in front of, you know, 10,000 screaming people. This match last night, which I, I was convinced, you know, you said for half a second, Ron L, I was convinced when Candace got to that top of that ladder. Oh, good for them. This is where they take the title off of EO. You're going to have Candace and Johnny go on this two, you know, person power trip. The, the married couple, uh, they'd even mentioned it before the match started, which I, I thought for sure was going to mean it. But no, instead, EO fights back. Candace takes one of the nastiest bumps for a woman I've ever seen. I asked Sam, I said, can you ever remember a woman taking a nastier bump in a TLC match? And I just can't. I mean, that was brutal. Uh, you know, anytime that ladder snaps in half because of the force 
which normally the girls don't do it quite as well just because they're so light. They don't have the weight behind like a Seamus or somebody going through that. And because of the force and how hard she hit that, I mean, it just snapped that ladder in half. But I was also very happy for Ia because they have built her up to where when she comes up there, if they play it right, uh, they have a star. I loved her introduction. I thought Candace was fantastic. And me and Sam discussed today on the phone, maybe they're setting up Candace for a face turn. Uh, because I did think she was a little gutty in that performance and she was a little less heelish uh, than she normally is. And to come that close and not get over, maybe you see some, uh, you know, dissension between her and Johnny because Johnny, you know, can be an arrogant heel. He has a championship. She doesn't. But I just thought the EO Candice match was the match of the week. If there was a match of the month, it would be the match of the month. Uh, it just, to me, that was a great main event and it'll be the thing that I remember from a very memorable Halloween Havoc episode of basically NXT Weekly, um, is that match. Rana, what was your match of the week? Um, I was only inches away from calling the same thing. Um, those girls burned down the house. That bump was disgusting for a woman of Candace's size. And like I was genuinely concerned, um, but I went with the Kenny and Pinta uh, El Cedarem match. Um, this was my first real exposure to solos, Kenny. I mean, I know we got to see him um, at the onset of AEW uh, for that title tournament and so on, and then they basically let him just be a tag wrestler and so on. I love how during the match they were, were talking about, oh, you know, his stamina may not be what it used to be because, you know, he's a tag wrestler now or, you know, or he was a tag wrestler for so long. But I got to see my first real exposure of what uh, a Kenny Omega can do in a 20 minute setting. And I'm sure he could probably do it for another 20. And that was just an amazing match. And Penta again, two weeks in a row in my match of the week. Sam, what about you? Uh, so I went a little bit of a different direction and I went with my wrestler on the slide. I thought that Seamus uh, Riddle, I didn't necessarily because I didn't think it was the going off of Joe Hahn from last week. I thought that Seamus Riddle was a great match for what Raw should be doing, which mm -hmm. is you have three hours you have the most talented roster in the history of pro wrestling. Let him go out there and have bangers. Like I, I, I thought that that match did more to reestablish Sheamus as a guy who was, you know, credible and hard hitting than his like snatch gimmick has in like the last six months. And I was just very pleased. I think that Sheamus is a guy who has the the, the disfortune of having been big in an era where there was not a whole lot uh, where the talent was, but there was less depth and he's a really good worker. And I was like, okay, this guy can hang. And I was just glad to see that kind of match. That was my match of the week. And also, cause I wanted to be a little different than you guys. No, so well, that, that was a really good one too. No, I, I can completely see why they did put on a really good match and man, that one went on what two commercial breaks. So it was at least a good, 15 minute match it, it was uh, a, a really good segment and so um matt riddle can eat a bunch of these for right now anyway whether you know even though you know you add on that lawsuit 
he's still young in his career regardless of that he can he can you know come fight back through that Rana, what's your uh, promo of the week my promo of the week was the the town hall like jesus <laughs> the fact that they had made it in open forum like the like an actual town hall they pulled out some really great great surprises out of the crowd um you saw the the work with uh santana and ortiz and sammy g even before uh the town hall started um talking about how you're not going to be a part of this and i'll do whatever it takes and with the fact that they've uh even set up a mat a tag team match next week for um MJF and Wardlow to go against two of the members of the inner circle. It was just all the way around uh, fantastic. And I love that they, uh, you know, took questions not only from um, some of the talent, but, you know, we had had the surprise from uh, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Yeah, that, that was my promo of the week as well. And, you know, I, I was discussing this with Sam earlier that the first few minutes of that were not great. And I was kind of concerned that, you know, maybe they were, you know, trying to get too creative with these MJF Jericho segments because they're so talented that they figure that, you know, we can just, we can do all this different stuff that you don't normally see. But it really changed uh, once Bischoff got there. And, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, use too much hyperbole when it comes to MJF, because it's real easy to do that. Uh, but his mean streak is very impressive for somebody that is such a funny, you know, kind of snarmy heel. Because when they agreed to their match at full gear and Jericho said, look, you beat me there, you're in the group. And MJF said, I just want to let you know, I'll do anything to win this match. And Jericho kind of jokingly says back, well, I would hope you would. And MJF takes that step in there, gets a little bit closer. His face gets a little bit more serious. And he goes, no, I'll do anything to win that match. And it's just so believable by him that that is honestly what to me has me so excited about the eventual he'll champion, he'll star the company that MJF is going to be because not only does he have the, you know, whiny, you know, cocky, braggadocious, sometimes funny heel down. He's also very serious and scary, honestly. He came across as like, I will hurt you to get what I want. And I love Bischoff's question to further your point of like, you know, he called Jericho a prima donna. And MJF, you have a lot of these same qualities. How do we know you guys aren't going to turn each other? Because, I mean, let's be honest. They're giving the cliff notes of what's going to happen. We know that MJF is going to find a way to win this match. He's going to join the group. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Whether it be MJF steals the group from Jericho, which I think that that's a possibility, and you get a face Jericho out of it. Or if he just, you know, basically slowly destroys the group from within uh it's exactly what's going to happen but uh I, I just didn't think that you know they could keep it anywhere near on level what they did last week with being so creative with the musical but to do a town hall which is something i don't ever remember being done 
Uh, and I, I also want to, again, give MJF credit for saying, you know, he goes, what do you have to bring to the group? And he said friendship, which I thought was pretty funny. But then after that, he said, you know, last week I did the most creative promo skit of your career. Uh, and just the confidence that he said that. Uh, it just, it was, it was really well done. And I'm very excited to say this could be the next three, four months of AEW non-title programming and it's and it's basically 1a which is great for AEW. uh i'm gonna you know make this uh unanimous my that was mine as well i thought that it was important for a few reasons i thought that excuse me that firstly i thought that mjf's character this kind of spoiled child is needs that edge where it's not just comedy where he's kind of a psychopath as well uh i also liked that the not to you know fluff Bischoff too much but he talked about I listened to 83 weeks and he's talked about how you can either be better than uh less than or different than and I think that AEW which Bischoff when he was successful did really well which is that you're never going to beat the WWE at their own game you're just not I mean it's it's but if you're different than them and that's what AEW when AEW has been at its best it's been different and I think that the, you know, the, the Broadway skit, the town hall, doing those, something that distinguishes it. So you can go, this is how it's different from the WWE is always going to help it be more successful. And to your point, when they overload with wrestling matches, like what they've done the last three, four weeks, where they got a little bogged down, in my opinion, trying to do promos and trying to do, you know, some of the, the, the what do you call it, the vignettes and stuff like that when it's like you want to save the promos and mic work for the guys that can really handle it and can really develop the story and your strength right now is you have a loaded roster of guys that can really go in the ring and honestly what's going to make me want to watch AEW Dynamite every week is when you have five six great matches in a two-hour program because that that's really what's going to keep me invested uh, you know, I look for WWE for the spectacle and I look for AEW right now for, you know, sort of the quality of the in-ring work. The uh, heel of the week. Ron, I'll start with you, buddy. My heel of the week. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I was, about to say, I was about to say, who was my heel of the week? Um, it, it can only be Randy Orton. Um, successfully cashing in. Uh, I mean, you know, sorry, successfully resting that 14th championship um you know they've dragged this this story out it, it made the perfect sense for um where the where everything was going because if he lost uh, it, it would have just completely run left if you ask me and the fact that um he's gonna be like the next target apparently for not only uh, our former champion, Drew McIntyre. We have our new Mr. Money in the Bank who's uh, aiming at him, as well as The Fiend. So, you know, um, congratulations to Randy for his 14th championship. He's my heel of the week. And I had Orton as well. Uh, you know, the little things that he does that he doesn't get credit for, he never turned around to look at The Fiend. Like, he knew he was there. And I thought, again, they've sort of made him lately as – this sort of smart heel, which you don't see a lot of in WWE because he's, you know, he's the biker. It makes sense that he's, he's the snake that, 
you know, he's, he's going to sort of out, uh, you know, smart you sort of sneak up on you. And I thought it was great that not only did he know the fiend was there, but it built up the fiend by him choosing, of course, you could say at the behest of Drew McIntyre, but he would rather go back towards the ring and take on Drew McIntyre than turn around and see the monster uh, that he knew was behind him. And I just also want to add in with that, again, Alexa Bliss has just been fantastic. She was great uh, on the Firehouse, uh, the Firefly Funhouse uh, segment where her eyes went pink, you know, as she sort of uh, I love the contact went Evo. That was really cool. And then also just the way she did her the interview, and I loved how kind of once everything hit the fan, she's just sitting up in the corner, happy as a clam, you know, getting ready to see the destruction. So uh, Orton is definitely my hill of the week. You can't say with him finally getting that 14th championship, but Alexa Bliss is right there as well. Um, the reason why I didn't pick Orton besides my like pathological dislike of him, and, and, <laughs> but let me say when he does good work, I try to acknowledge it. Uh, I, it, this is more of a booking issue is, is that I have a hard time with a guy who's one and two against the champion. And then they're like winning neither here nor there. Uh, mine was the Miz just because I thought that like, like Otis is, is, and this is what's, sort of interesting to me is that how many white meat baby faces are there and you have Daniel Bryan and Otis was just like kind of a white meat baby face who the Miz is like all really healed on like he took dude's girl like separated from his girl he took the money in the bank from him like he his best friend turned on him like I, I just thought that Miz and Miz has been doing really good work for a while now and it's one of my favorite things about wrestling is just when guys you know we saw it with Mark Henry uh, we, we're seeing it with the Miz, uh, guys who were not necessarily great early on in their career who really step up, and the Miz has done that. And I, I, I am excited. I, I kind of thought I'm still kind of the thought that we're going to get Orton losing to the Fiend, and we're going to get Fiend, maybe Fiend Roman just because face heel. But I don't know. It's Survivor Series. Well, we'll see. There's a lot of time left for Survivor Series, and even more for me to complain about it. Face of the week, Sam. What do you got? Uh, my face of the week was uh, Jey Uso. I thought that the his in the match. I thought that his his losing when you know with his brother. I thought as somebody who's very close, my own older brother, not twin, but older brother. Uh, I get that that would be what would get him to say I quit, and I thought that he did a great job you know he, he's just done a great job in leveling up as as a face and just really showing that he deserves the opportunity that he's gotten Rano? i'm with you uh with jay uso um that that was really phenomenal work i wouldn't mind uh seeing a mid-card uh title on him in the near future well but um my face of the week was surprisingly jeff hardy um, I, I was really surprised because I thought that this feud with Elias, especially with Elias just coming back, was built up for Elias to come in and maybe let's get some momentum on him. And amazingly enough, no, they're still kind of, still kind of have this love affair with the charismatic enigma. So Jeff Hardy got my nod for the week. So I went with Hangman Page. Uh, I'm still not totally sure 
about the character development where they're making him emotionally unstable. Uh, I forgot what his, uh, when it, they gave his little uh, nameplate as he came down to the ring, uh, it said something on there that made me kind of shake my head. And I apologize that I forgot what it said, but it was something along the lines of uh, basically he's, he's emotionally unavailable, I think is what it said, <laughs> uh, which was kind of surprising. And it, and it did also make me just, I think a point that either Sam Morano made earlier with Omega, he's only had five singles matches this year. And it shows that as great as Omega and Hangman were as a tag team, and I love the story, and I love that we're about to get, you know, them, you know, battle for a chance for the championship next week on TV. But you think about, like, how good these guys are in the ring. Because, I mean, both of them, I know we talked about Omega, but Hangman was equally impressive. And for him to beat somebody like Wardlow, uh, you know, that's a big dude. Uh, and Wardlow is actually pretty good in the ring. I was and surprised at, big, his, at I, how good he was. I, I completely agree. And I'm I'm honestly interested to see where Wardlow goes moving forward because Me let's too. say MGF gets in to the inner circle. Does that just mean Wardlow's just eh, like off to the side? Like, you know, he's going to get left behind. But uh, for Hangman to get this win, and I have a feeling that next week he's going to look as sympathetic as always because I really do have a feeling Omega's going to go full hill and basically steal away his title shot uh, and maybe even toy with his emotions with the way they've done it, where, you know, he tries to make him think he's his best friend or, you know, fake an injury or something, try to get sympathy. And then at that point, turn on him uh, because of it. I just thought this was kind of the high point for a while for hangman as a face. So therefore, therefore I, you know, I'm going to give him the nod, but I, I just, I am, they've done a master class with several storylines this year. They haven't been quite as good as they were last year, but this has been great. You know, the FTR versus Young Bucks has been great. And I just, I can't wait to sort of see some of these storylines come to a head over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the storyline you need to pay attention to, I was going to go with The Fiend and Alexa Bliss, but you know what? I, I've talked about them so much lately. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn on a dime here. I'm interested what the hell is going on with Cody Rhodes, my man, Orange Cassidy, and even double A Arn Anderson with the ultimate heel move last mm -hmm. night. Really, it was, it was Arn that kind of put Cassidy out in that match, which was sort of shocking. And, you know, I think it was Sam or Ron L again. I apologize. I was talking about that this was not good for Orange Cassidy and I completely disagreed. I am now on the same side as you guys because what is this doing to have him keep losing, even if it is a non-clean fashion, over and over and over again and coming up short in the biggest moments, especially on regular TV? He was uh, almost my wrestler on the slide. I mean, I, I don't know what they're doing with him. I assumed that he was going to be at full gear taking on Cody again, and you find out, no, I forgot, Darby Allen is the person who's going to get the challenge for the TV title there. But I'm assuming with the storyline, we're going to get to a Cody and Arn turning heel. The way they're building up Sean Spears and with FTR, I just still get the feeling they're going down some kind of horseman you know, road, and I hope that's not where they go. I think these guys are talented enough where they don't have to do that. And uh, 
but I am very intrigued to see where it's going because, you know, it's weird. Cody dyed his hair black. It's back to blonde and he's acting more kind of openly heel with every match, you know, and they, they made it a point to say that Cody didn't see any of that. That's what happened. But it's also the dark, the dark orders now, you know, been involved in several of his matches that have helped him end up getting victory. So is that instead the whole turn that we're seeing is Cody eventually, uh, you know, going to go to the dark order. All I know is we are heading towards a heel turn uh, because they are definitely setting that up uh, with a lot of smoke. And usually when there's smoke, there's fire. But that's kind of the storyline. It's both, you know, the fact of where is Cody going? Is he turning heel? And then what are they doing with Orange Cassidy? Because it does feel like they are losing a lot of momentum with probably the hottest guy in their company. I, my feeling with Orange Cassidy is that they sort of didn't, he caught fire and they had plans and they didn't really know what to do with it. So they were like, well, he'll get the rub by wrestling Cody and maybe he will. Like I, I'm not, you know, again, I'm not a booker and I don't know, but I, I just think that it's better to have like, why not wait for this feud until after he's done with Darby Allen. So maybe Darby Allen beats Cody, and that's the TNT title. I have no idea. Um, my storyline to pay attention to was, uh, and, and I'm going to put some respect on her name. What happens with Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano is because I think that one of the big things, we talk about wins and losses mattering, but I thought that Candice really for so long has been defined as Johnny Gargano's wife. Mm-hmm. And like she stepped out and was like, no, she's Candice LeRae. She was extreme last night. That was hardcore. It really was. And I thought that that like even in a loss that helped get her over. But I'm interested to see, you know, does Johnny, you know, give her shit for not winning? Does she turn face? Does he turn, you know, does he turn face? Does he, she, you know, where does this go? And I feel like it's a very interesting intergender story, which they don't always do in the WWE. That's not like a shitty romantic angle where somebody's jealous. It's like, it, it'll be interesting where to see what they do with this. Cause I think that there's a lot of story potential there. What about you, Ronel? Me, I'm um, just wanted to see what's going on with the AEW title picture. Um, uh, I am still expecting uh, John Moxley to go over Eddie Kingston and so I'm looking past that and wondering just what's going to happen with this Hangman Page and Kenny Omega match. Um, uh, I would be, if I were to be spitballing it and um, booking it myself right now, I, I'm thinking that Kenny Omega definitely goes over. And hopefully it's time for a, a new AEW champion and let's get some new storylines of people gunning for that title. All right, so the, the most recent question that we've added, and I'm glad that we end with this every week now, is what show won the week? Ron, let's start with you. Um, I think Wednesday night as a whole, both shows were absolutely amazing. Um, NXT's Halloween Havoc presentation, I love the fact that they had had the uh, – the wheel uh, determining uh, the styles of matches, uh, the variance in them. Um, I was talking about it before uh, we came on that I love that they took a chance on the uh, 
Dexter Loomis and uh, Cameron Grimes. Um, also, uh, AEW, just with the, my match of the week, um, with the Cody and, or- the Cody and Orange Cassidy. Um, even an uh, NWA Women's Title Championship. I mean, it wasn't the most fantastic match, and I know that they, you know, the AEW Women's Division still has work to be done, but both shows were just phenomenal, and uh, just kudos to both programs. Sam? Uh, I went with Halloween Havoc just because I'm a sucker for nostalgia. Um, I also appreciate that they did the spin the wheel, make the deal. But unlike WCW, you gimmicked it so they knew it was going to happen. I don't know if you guys know back in the day that there was like a Sting Jake Roberts coal miner glove match because they didn't gimmick the board, which is like A, hilarious to me. And also B, (laughs) if you really want like to know about what WCW was like so often, like that's the example. Uh, But I I like the Halloween Havoc gimmick. I thought that it did a good job, slightly better in that there was a you know that there was a title change i thought that i could see calling it a draw but i liked the halloween havoc gimmick and i thought that it was a real throwback to nxt when nxt was the unquestioned best show on television and wrestling yeah i I went back and forth uh i was gonna do the lane thing where i was gonna call it a tie but that's not fair that's not what we're here for i'm gonna give it to halloween (laughs) havoc uh and it's saying something it really is And, and smackdown again was a worthy show so this week yeah. we got three really good shows and raw was better like i will give it it was better it's still got a long way to go to be truly good but it was better so i'm gonna say that uh you know for this week i would definitely give it to nxt the halloween havoc was awesome I, at first i was confused i didn't realize that was not going to be a pay-per-view but it was actually going to just be a standalone show, but I'm glad that they're doing that. And I think that that's what they need to do is, you know, and I mean, it's just stealing from AEW, but it's smart that it's like, you got the takeovers obviously at the big pay-per-views. Uh, but outside of that, like if you're going to have these smaller pay-per-views for NXT, do it on Wednesday night. I think that's a great way to grow your brand. If there are people that maybe are watching it weekly, but don't have the network, this is a great way to, to get people's attention and do some exciting things and, you know, probably pop a rating. I haven't seen the rating yet, but I'm assuming they had a pretty good night uh, with the Halloween habit. Uh, go ahead, Ryan. No. And, you know, and they left a couple of good open-ended questions on the, on the back end of that, you know, um, what's going to happen with uh, n- not only with Candace within her marriage, but is uh, Candace and Shotzi going to be a thing? Um, that assailant who helped Johnny and almost helped Candace win the championships. Um, who was this person? Was it a guy? Was it a girl? Uh, you know, what, what's it all about? Uh, Halloween Havoc. Uh, I can understand why you guys would definitely just uh, put the stamp on Halloween Havoc alone. I'm also a WWE mark. Um, I will fully admit that. Uh, I like AEW. I do. It's just that there's and and i thought that raw one of the things that raw benefited from was those survivor series matches is that smackdown and aew are so good at having story progression a b follows a c follows b and you feel like you have the movement uh raw i felt like there was that through line and there was that and i don't think they've had that recently it's felt very stagnant and pointless and again, I said it last week, they needed The Fiend. Like, they needed somebody like The Fiend who could take up, you know, one to two segments, 
every episode because when you got three hours, it's just difficult to do. So we made it through another edition of the Team Turnbuckle podcast, giving superlatives. Before we get out of here, we like to do our plugs. Let's start with shooting Sam. Sam, who you want to plug? The shooter. Uh, I'm going to plug. The shooter. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to plug. Two new nicknames. The, uh, the IBN All-Star. Uh, IBN Sports All-Star. It's $5 a month. It pays for itself with the gambling picks, with the daily fantasy, Joe, uh, Joe, you, uh, Keith, you and Joe are on fire. Uh, really killing it with that. Uh, so you're going to make way more than $5. If you know, you pay attention, it's a great sports group. I'm glad that I get to talk to you guys. Uh, I'm going to plug the team turnbuckle Twitter account, which is team turnbuckle. Uh, I am also going to plug the Facebook group. I'm going to plug, which is team turnbuckle podcast. I'm going to plug myself, uh, my Twitter account, which is show610, H-O-U-G-H. Uh, I'm also going to plug uh, Steel Ring Post, which is the With Spandex Orphans website. And I will be posting the Discord invite for their live chats, which, you know, it's not so much now that wrestling is good again, but if you're watching Raw Live, they just make it so much better. It's so much. It, it's like the Mystery Science Theater three thousand guys, just a funny <laughs> and dudettes. And yeah, it's it's a good it's a good time to be a wrestling fan. All right, the ravishing one. Cut the music. <laughs> what I would like to plug right now is my credit repair <laughs> business. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> so, uh, I, I had to get a little of that in there, but um, harvestcreditors.com, uh, official Ronald Tinsley on Instagram, Ronald Tinsley on Facebook. Um, if you have any issues on your credit repair, uh, any identity theft, we help with that as well. Um, the ability to write your living will, trust and power of attorney. Um, we also have our own brand of a credit karma, which you know keeps you up to date on your credit score um, and can give you alerts. I can go on and on about it, but anyway, any issues, uh, hit me up. Mention the Team Turnbuckle podcast and save $99 on beginning your credit restoration services. And in these uncertain times, I just want to say it is nice to, you know, be certain that you have a decent credit score to whether it be, you know, buy a house, get a loan, uh, et cetera. So Rhino can definitely help you out on that. And then uh, I just, again, want to, uh, you know, promote the IB Sports Podcast feed. Uh, there has been a ton of podcasts to- uh, posted just in the last week. All you have to do is follow the IB Sports Podcast feed. Uh, you had the Mod Pod episode, which is where Ivy Jesus dives into politics with a nonpartisan approach. It's very good. Uh, he's, he's a super smart guy. They also recently had the Big Ten Roundtable podcast. It's an SEC fan. I didn't have any interest in listening to high school football discussion, but you know what? You might. So <laughs> go right ahead. Uh, today, RC posted a uh, bonus podcast called The Black Vote, Why People's uh, so distasteful of both parties. What do black people want? Biden's plan versus Trump's platform. I'm about halfway through it. It's very good. And then we also uploaded the weekly daily fantasy football podcast where I, I normally am not somebody to sit there and tout about picks, but like in all seriousness, I'm winning a bunch of money on DraftKings. I have buddies on FanDuel and DraftKings winning a lot of money off our picks. You guys Both are me on and Joe Matz are just very analytical people. We're very big about crunching numbers, trying to find weaknesses. 
matchups, patterns, etc. Uh, it's like what I've told people. I can't guarantee our picks will continue to be as good as they have been the last three weeks because they've been out of control, especially with our bargain picks. What we do is we give you three picks for each position. One is a expensive pick, meaning one of the top tier guys uh, at each position. One is kind of that median tier and then the bargain tier. Uh, just in the last two weeks, I gave Trey Burton at uh, 3,100 for or excuse me, 2,900 at tight end. He scored two touchdowns, had 21.9 points. Last week, my partner Joe Matt said Deontay Johnson, Steelers wide receiver at $4,200, was a must start. And every single league, he scored 29 points, had six catches for 85 yards and two touchdowns. That's the kind of picks you're getting. If you can get picks like that, you can build successful lineups and you can win money on both. We do discuss, obviously, fantasy football just in general because we're talking about players and matchups that we like. And as Sam had mentioned, if you have any questions about fantasy football just in general and you're an all-star, all you do is send us a message. I'll talk to you all day about it. If you're not an all-star, I might answer a question here and there. But if you want us to answer questions in depth. Support and, uh, the brand. Yeah, support the brand, be an all-star. But uh, And then, obviously, the Team Turnbuckle podcast. Again, the Twitter is at Team Turnbuckle. Uh, my uh, podcast, or excuse me, Twitter handle is at Keith Fleming. That's K-E-I-T-H-F-L-E-M-M-I-N-G. Uh, and be sure to follow Sam. We're going to try to get Ron L. on there one day. Uh, but um, I really do enjoy this. Guys, you know, normally I'd sit here and talk even more, but I'm going to go watch the Falcons blow maybe the fourth game and eight tries that they've had a 95% or better chance of winning going into the fourth quarter. Uh, it's 7-6 right this second. So they're just getting ready to, you know, tee me up for my displeasure and heartache, uh, thus being an Atlanta Falcons fan. But considering Sam's an Eagles fan and Ron L's a Giants fan, I mean, they're not in much better shape. Uh, they just are bad instead of, you know, basically blowing every game in every possible manner. Although we did just blow our last game. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was I, I was, uh, I, I was, I literally went to get to do a quick grocery shop and came back and watched Carson Wentz throw that touchdown. I was like, I can't, by a wide margin, this is the most unbelievable thing that I've ever seen. Well, they just, the all sides is what was so amazing. They went from like first and goal and like the seven to like first and goal from 17. Yeah. And, like and I was just like, oh, later, okay. When they, yep. when they backed that back, I was like, oh, maybe they, maybe they right. won't blow this. No, like they'll the blow Falcons it. Last week they blow it and then they get the false start to where it's then a 48 yarder. So I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe they'll miss the extra point. This is, the, nah, it's right down the middle. We lost. That's what we do. We're losers. Losers lose. Normally um, I would. I would give you crap, Keith, about slandering the Big Ten, but I hate every Big Ten team except for Michigan. So I, I don't root for my whole conference because I'm not an SEC fan. Uh, so <laughs> feel free to slander the Big Ten as much as you want, as long as you leave Michigan out of it. You got it, buddy. Go, go Big Blue. Uh, so this has been another edition of the Team Turnbuckle podcast with uh, Sam the Shooter. Got that right? Ravishing. Ron L. Tinsley and Chief Keith. We did not go with tribal because I'm just a white guy and that would be really yeah. insensitive. So I'm just <laughs> Chief Keith, if anybody was asking. Uh, but we obviously, as I always, enjoy this. We appreciate all you guys that are listening and sharing this. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, bad in 2020. It's fun when you can still get together and talk about something in, insignificant, but also that means too much or this much to you as wrestling does. So, Guys, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, and we'll see you all next week.